listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. We're going to be in, in Luke 1, verses 46 through 56. Again, the, the passage that I read. So, again, hopefully you have your Bibles and you can turn to there. For the last uh, two weeks, we have been following the life of Mary. Remember, Mary was betrothed to be married. She had this visit from Gabriel and, and this grand announcement that, that came from the Lord and, and came from Gabriel. Um, and what we saw in, in two weeks ago to her humble response of indifference, not meaning that she didn't care that God just came and spoke and said, hey, you're going to have a baby even though you're a virgin. She didn't really, um, she believed that, but she kind of was looking for the mechanics of that. And he said that God would come and overshadow you. And, and her response in all of that was one of indifference. And we said two weeks ago that that indifference is all I want is your will, God, nothing more. Nothing less, nothing else, but your will. That's what it means to live a life of indifference. It's, it's your will, God, that, that I'm after. Nothing more, nothing else. Now, we, when Gabriel came, he gave her a sign. He told her that her cousin Elizabeth, who was old in her age and past the, the age that you should normally be able to have children, she's going to have a baby. And, and this is the sign that I'm going to give you. That what I am telling you is true. So we know last week we saw that Mary didn't hesitate. She quickly, she believed. So I want to go and check out the sign. I want to go and, and see what is happening with my cousin Elizabeth. And we know that she couldn't like Snapchat her. She couldn't get on Facebook Messenger. She had to make this 90 to 100 mile journey. Um, and it was not easy. I mean, we're, we're talking about a teenager. I just want to keep reminding us that, that she's, you know, younger. I know that, that as, Time has progressed and, and roles have changed that um, for us just to be reminded that this is a 13 to 16 year old girl that's okay. I'm going to go and see the sign. God has, has spoke to me and I'm going to go see the sign. Now, as we took this journey with her, I pressed in to ask you a question last week. And that question was, how do you find happiness? And I had you write some different things down, and maybe you still have those responses jotted down. But as we progressed throughout the week last week, we saw at the very end that Elizabeth kind of described this happiness, right? I argued that happiness, in agreeing with this uh, gentleman that wrote a book called Sapiens, Harari, that happiness is not an emotional equation. We can't say that happiness is some kind of an emotional equation. We are happy if we have a sum of, of more pleasant moments than unpleasant moments, Right? Like whenever someone says, how are you doing? The normal thing is good. I do it all the time. And it, the Holy Spirit keeps checking me and checking me and checking me on this. Because it's just like, well, okay, why don't I be honest? Like if I'm struggling with something, I should say that. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to help me carry that burden. And we should do that one for another. But, but happiness, like when we say, well, I'm happy, it can't be just summed up by saying, oh, man, I had like six good things happen and only one bad today, so I'm happy. It has to be more than that. Because that is just, it's fleeing. It's, it, it'll go in a heartbeat. It'll go with the next bad thing that happens to us. And then we live on this emotional roller coaster. But that's not what the Bible calls happy. That's not what the Bible calls blessed, which is the scripture, the Greek word translated is, is blessed or happy. It's, it's how it would say that. And what we argued last week um, is simply this, that happiness is more than that. 
is a, is a blessed life. And, and Elizabeth gave us one aspect of that blessed life. And she said this, that we would believe all that God has spoken, he will surely do. So how do we find happiness? By believing all that God said that he would do. By believing that. By truly believing that. By living it out day in and day out. That we truly believe that what he said he's going to do, he will do. And not only that, but that what he has already done is applied to us. As we walk in the gospel, as we walk in Christ. See, we see this is what Mary saw when she first visited Elizabeth. The sign. Elizabeth with child. Not only that, but Mary was the recipient of the confirmation as both Elizabeth and her baby leaped with joy as they acknowledged the identity of the baby in Mary's womb. None other than Jesus Christ. So Mary gets this this visit from the angel and there's a sign and she goes and sees and she gets this confirmation that that the child that is within her, now no one who told Elizabeth, or again, no one told Elizabeth, Holy Spirit, most likely, that Mary was pregnant, right? But both John leaped for joy and Elizabeth cried out for joy as, as they know that the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ has come. He's coming in the flesh eventually. He's coming in the flesh. These verses show us The joy that comes whenever anyone recognizes Jesus as the Christ. What we see here today with Mary's song, the first song, the first hymn in the the New Testament, that that what we see here is, is what happens when anyone sees Jesus Christ for who he truly is, the Savior of the world. This is what we're going to see in our passage today. We're going to see the joy that pours out of Mary as she recognizes that the baby in her womb is her Savior. Put your mind around that one. The baby in her womb is her Savior. How about you? Are you having a tough time containing the joy from pouring out of you because of all that God has said and done for you today? Have you seen Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is he your Lord and Savior? Maybe you have, maybe you have not. What I rejoice in is either way, God in his mindfulness towards us gives you the chance today. He gives you the chance today. See, he designed it so that a group of people come together each Sunday to speak his word, to sing his word, and to preach his word So that you have an opportunity to recognize that Jesus is truly the Christ. That you get an opportunity to recognize not only that Jesus is the Savior, but you are in need of the Savior. See, that's the harder thing to get people convinced of. Because everyone goes around and says, I'm good. I don't need a Savior. I'm fine. Give me the money. Give me the prestige. Give me the power. It's all good. I'm good. I I don't need a Savior. Well, yes, you do. Because in God's economy, things are far different than they are here on this planet. And you need a Savior. Remember, I was talking about happiness versus a a true, joyful, and blessed life. Well, the first thing that Jesus teaches whenever he he sits down to teach his, his big sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, what does he teach? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And what does that mean to be poor in spirit? That you know that you need a Savior. That you know you need a Savior. And we even see this with Mary. She knows in her praise 
that she needs a savior. Mary is overflowing with joy and she breaks out into song. And what we're going to do with her song is focus entirely on the one who Mary sings, namely God himself. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. That's who she's singing about. She's singing about God, this, this wonderful God that has done these wonderful things for her. There's a tremendous amount in this short song that, that we could unpack, in it, but we only have so much time. And we're, we're going to look at the song with three simple words in mind. Three simple words in mind. The words are mindful, mighty, and merciful. We're going to see that God is mindful, God is mighty, and God, thankfully, is merciful. Right? Receiving mercy is receiving not what we deserve, right? It's, we deserve the wrath of God, but we will not entail it because Christ did that for us. That's mercy. That's mercy. So the first thing we see in our passage is God is mindful. Look with me at, at Luke 1, 47 through 48. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Here, she's already recognizing, look, I need a Savior. He is my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, if you have an NIV translation of the Bible, it would read, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So this idea of being looked upon or being mindful of, it's, it's the same idea. It's just different translators used different words whenever they flushed it out and wrote the different translations. But this looked on that most of you have, especially if you have um, the journal Bible, is the same as being mindful. It's the same word. It's the same idea. He has looked on us. God has taken thought of us. God has taken care. He keeps remembering us. This is what it means to be mindful of something. Mary is rejoicing that her God is mindful of her. She initially speaks in terms that are personal. Look at verse 48. For he, that is God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. In other words, God has been mindful of me, Mary says. Now, if you're sitting here and you are in Christ, that's every one of you. That you can look at God and say, he has been mindful of me. That he would send Jesus to be my Savior. That he would send the Spirit to change me, to cause me to be born again. That he is mindful of me. That he cares that much about little old Joe in Frostburg, Maryland. It's amazing. Mary says, God could have found a rich, noble, powerful queen who lived in a palace. But she has chosen not to do so. But he has chosen not to do so. He's come and said to a lowly maiden who has no apparent significance whatsoever. It wasn't because she had the most money or anything that we want to put in that tagline. It was just because God chose to do so. He usually chooses the lowly, the downtrodden, the ones that maybe are a little bit separated from the norm of society to do great things through. Why? Because those people can't rely on their money or they can't rely on their position. They can't rely on their power. They know that it is God who did something in them and through them and for them. He's just 
so mindful of us. He cares so deeply for us. Mary's response is a response of everyone to God's mindfulness. We are no different than Mary. In God's kingdom, what is your significance? What is your significance? Now, that, that all changes, right? We have no significance. We're not bringing anything to the party, right? We're, we're not bringing anything to the party. But that all changes. It all changes for every single one of us. Whenever he says Joe or Matt or Rebecca or Anthony, it all changes when he says, you are now my child. You are now my child. You are a child of God. And because of that, we all should sing with Mary. We should sing with Mary as she's singing here because of what wonderful things that he has done for us. We should also sing just like David sang in, in Psalms 8, 3-4. through 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That is our praise. So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has taken thought of me. He has taken care of me. I am in his remembrance. And for every single one of us today that are in Christ, we can say the same thing. He has been mindful of us. But she doesn't just stop there. Her singing is is much more than just a personal singing that that God was mindful of me. You got to drop down a little bit in in the passage there and pick up verses 54 through 55. And what you see is, is she turns it into a corporate theme that God has always remembered his people. So not only does he remember me, Mary, this lowly peasant girl who was just betrothed um, to Joseph and was waiting, waiting for him to come get her for, for, the, for the wedding and everything, but he's been mindful of God's, of his people all throughout history. And we see that in verses 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So not only is he mindful of me, but he's also been mindful of of those he has chosen, his people, all through history. Now the significance of this is as follows. God is mindful of Mary as an individual because he is mindful of his people as a company. In other words, this is God's character. He's remembering his people. And, and you've got to keep it all in context. You've got to, always got to keep what happened in the garden in your head as you read the Bible. Right? He could have cast us out and been done with it. When the flood came, he could have wiped us all out, but he didn't. He could have left the people in, enslaved to Pharaoh, but he didn't. He's mindful of his people. This is who he is. He's been mindful of you. That's why if you're a Christian, you're here today. What we see is this is one piece of the bigger plan of redemption, which has always been to choose out for himself a people that are his very own and that people are the focus of his love and his concern. We don't have a a God that sits up in heaven and doesn't care about us here on this planet. He does care. He cares deeply for us. And this whole idea, everything in Mary's head as she's praising him for remembering the corporate body, all of his people, it all goes back to Genesis 12. 
and the promise to Abraham. Mary is rejoicing not only for the immediate fulfillment of God doing what he said he would do, but rejoicing in the historical fulfillment of all that God said he would do. Right? What we know about Mary is her family discipled her well. We know that her family discipled her well. And and why do I say that? Because this whole section of scripture right here, this whole song that Mary, uh, that sings out because of what God has done for her can all be found in the Old Testament. Every bit and piece of it can be transformed and, and we can, we're not going to do that now, but I can show you where everything, it comes from the Old Testament. She was taught to hide the word of God in her heart. So whenever, whenever the, the joy overflows, that's what comes out. The word comes out for her and that's what we see. God's word hid in her heart. And she praises. She is remembering the promise to Abraham. And the promise goes something like this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make uh, of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Mary's thinking of this covenant, remembering this covenant of God always remembering his people. This is who God is. He is mindful of his people. He's mindful of you individually and he's mindful of all of his people corporately. We see this all the way through the Old Testament. You have God saying, I am mindful of you. I will fulfill my promises that I made. His people listened to the prophets and the judges as they came. His people, they knew what Isaiah meant when he said they're listening to the prophets as God is speaking to them. And Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Do you see why Mary's rejoicing? She's, she knows the Old Testament. She's knowing this. She's, she's saying, oh, this is fulfillment. Generation after generation, the people of God held on to this covenant promise. Through your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, we can't forget the context of where Luke's dropping us in at within his story. Remember, he's writing the story to Theophilus saying, look, I want you to be confident in what you know. So confident that maybe you would rejoice like Mary's rejoicing. But don't forget where he's dropping us in at within history. God has been silent for 400 years. The days were dark and difficult when the promise of God seemed to have dimmed and seemed so unlikely. What is man that you are mindful of him? That you're mindful of him. That you remember him. You see, the greatness of God is not revealed in his isolation from us. But the greatness of God is revealed in his intimacy with us. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. After 400 years of silence, God God draws near again. He draws near again. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's because God is mindful of his people. God says, C.S. Lewis, has landed on this enemy-occupied planet, and he's landed in human form. Why? Because he's mindful. Because he is mindful. 
So not only do we see that, that God is mindful in his promises, but he's also mighty in his deeds. He's mindful in his promises and he's mighty in his deeds. Luke 1, 49 says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy it is his name. Drop down to verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now what we have here is is Luke using and saying Mary as she's singing that with his arm, it's all that's doing is representing God's authority. His arm, whenever you see that, we see this actually in many places. Like whenever I was trying to do a cross-reference and see, okay, where can I show them that this same language is, is connected to his authority so that next time that you read that, you understand that, that the Bible's talking about his authority. Well, there was just lists and lists and lists um, that would happen. But I, I think Exodus 1, uh, Exodus 6, 1 and Exodus 6, 6 are two places that we see how his authority is attached to this idea that his hand is moving, that his mighty work is happening. And Exodus 6, 1 says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, same idea, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. In other words, his authority, his, his might is moving. He's changing things. Exodus 6, 6 says, says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of of judgment. We see his mighty arm moving, his mighty arm changing things, his authority, his ability to to move things and do things. Notice that these verses in Luke are speaking in the past tense. So Mary's kind of thinking back, right? She's thinking about all the promises of that he's been mindful and then all the ways that God and his mighty hand has moved and done these different things that she lays out within this passage. It is possible that Mary was remembering the great acts of God in history. The, the lines of her song sound like echoes from the Old Testament. God showed the strength of his arm by drowning Pharaoh's army in the sea. He separated the sea and then drowned them. He scattered the proud Philistines by striking down Goliath. He brought mighty Nebuchadnezzar down from his throne. We see all through history God moving for his people. Because as first he does, he, he's, it's, it's an interesting way that this is set up. It, it, usually in the Old Testament it's like, okay, I remember you. Many times like Moses or the prophets or, or people are saying, well, you remember your people? Oh yeah, I remember you. And now my mighty hand's going to do something. My mighty arm's going to do something. It's going to change something. God did these things to save his people, to keep that promise. What promise? All the way back in Genesis 3, right? The promise that the seed will crush the serpent's head one day. He's done all this to keep that promise for his people. And then one day we have a promise that Jesus is going to come back again. He's going to come back again. He's going to set all things right. So God did these things to save his people. God humbled the proud to show mercy to Israel as he promised Abraham an everlasting covenant, the one that we read in Genesis 12. What Mary is saying is, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. What 
all that he's been saying is possible because I'm looking at God. I'm looking at everything he's done in the past. And it's possible. I believe. It's possible. But she was also praising God for what he will do in, through Christ. Because she knows that how, Israel, I mean, as, uh, how Isaiah has, has laid out and said what Jesus will do once he comes. What the Messiah will do once he comes. The Son of God had come to establish his rule with justice and his kingdom with might. This meant the overthrow of every proud nation and the humbling of every proud heart. That's what Christ has come to do. I mean, we know that the story of, of the Jewish people when Messiah came, when Jesus came back, when he was 30 and he started his ministry, they, they were just, they were ready for him to overthrow the Romans and put them in charge because they thought that's what he's going to do. But no, he has an upside down kingdom and he's going to do it completely different. He's going to do it through us. He's going to do it through love. He's not going to do it through force. He's going to do it through a people who, who are so confident in the God that they serve that it doesn't matter what happens to them. That they were so confident in the promises of all that God has fulfilled that one day we will be with him so it doesn't matter what happens to me on this planet because one day I'll be with him. As that song that we sing so often says that it doesn't matter what you do to me, one more day closer to being with him. To being with him. See, God alone deserves the glory for all this. And this is what we're seeing in Mary. She's singing. She's singing about his mindfulness. She's singing about his might. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it of these passages. He kind of lined up the, the three categories that Mary talks about in these passages in 52 through 54, it says that we, we must humble the pride of these things. Like, what he's talking about is we must humble the fact that we trust in these things. That, that we put them higher than what God has said that he would do or his word. That we trust in those things more than him. The pride of intellect, the pride of position, and the pride of wealth which really kind of goes hand in hand with, with 1 John, right? When he talks about that's of the things of this world. That's the things of this world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Can you not see, wrote Martin Lloyd-Jones, that everything that man boasts in, his intellect, his understanding, his power, his social status, his influence, his righteousness, his morality, his ethics, his code, every one of them is utterly demolished by the Son of God. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. The path is narrow. It's through him. We must trust in him. And this is, this is the hard part on, on this side of, the, of, of Genesis 3. Living with the fall. Right? As Calvin would say, that our hearts are idol factories. We love to, to set up idols and figure out things that we're going to worship. And we trust in them. And we trust in them. And we trust in them. But thankfully, His grace, He is patient, He loves us, He has us come together as a church where we can love on one another and encourage one another and we can see blind spots and we can speak into the roots of that idolatry, into the roots of the idols that we trust so much. We must let those things 
Go and trust in the Lord. The pride of an intellect, the pride of position, the pride of wealth. But thankfully, it's the gospel of grace, right? It's the gospel of grace. Mary is rejoicing at God's might that has been on display in the past and what God will do through his son, Jesus. We don't take our prideful things to the cross and say, this, this is what I got to offer you, Lord. We don't do that. We can't do that. We can't be like, remember the, the gentleman that was praying in, in Matthew where he's beating his chest and says, I'm, I'm glad I'm so much not like this lowly peasant of yours. Because what, what he was doing, he was taking all of his stuff to the Lord and saying, you should accept me because of who I am. No, we're humble like Mary. We're indifferent as we're living a life that says, Lord, it's your will be done. Your will be done. That's how we are to live on this side of heaven. Mary is in rejoicing at God's might. His might that is on display and all that God will do through Jesus Christ. You know, I think the best way to explain this, to see and demonstrate what, what, what Lori Jones is trying to, to talk about that you see on the screen and this idea that the, the pride of an intellect, the pride of position, and the pride of life is we have a really, 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 really perfect example of this in our Bibles. His name is Saul of Tarsus. Remember Saul? We might know him as, as Paul, right? We, we prefer to call him Paul because Saul was, uh, was, he, was he was a little bit against every Christian, right? He was a fairly arrogant person, this Saul guy. He was proud of what he knows, right? Saul was, was proud of, of the place in the great scheme of things. He was able to have the, the acquisition of religion authorities and civil authorities of his day. He, he was high up. I mean, he was able to go and get the, the summons to go into the church just like this and drag us out and beat us to death because we're proclaiming the name of Christ, he had this high position. He, he was smart. He was educated. He had all these pride things. He checked them all down. I mean, he obviously had this influence. That's how he got the paper to, to go. But as he went, something happened to Saul, right? What happened? He met Jesus. Just like Mary. Just like hopefully one day you have met Jesus and this exuberant joy has come out of you and it will continue forever and ever and ever. One day Saul met Jesus on a road. He was, he was going to go take out some more Christians and Jesus met him there. The Jesus he denied, the Jesus that said wasn't, he said wasn't alive and he ends up um, groveling on the ground as a result of a light shining brighter than noonday sun that blinded him. And suddenly in his blindness on the dust of the road, he hears a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against me? And we know the story. Thankfully, we get to see the, the ending of all these stories. And eventually when his sight is restored and his life is transformed, we get Paul's letters. Now, stop and think about this. Do you think that there's anything in the world that Josuakis can say to you on a Sunday morning that would take a person from being like Saul, who hates Christians, and you know these people. 
Some of you, they're in your family. Like, you're like, oh, we just got through Thanksgiving. I know that Uncle, Uncle uh, uh, Billy Bob just, he can't stand Christians. And I know that, that if I say one little thing, he's just going to go off on this rant, right? You're say, thinking that anything that I can actually say on a Sunday morning or any pastor on this planet can change someone from like that, like Saul, who is breathing fire, who is going to go kill Christians, to writing things like this. You know all things, all the things that I really prize and all the things that made me, me, all the things that gave me significance, I regard them as dung. No. The only thing that does that is the power of God. It's the grace of God. Because he's mindful of us and his might changes our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that that is happening. How does this man go from wanting to drag us out because we proclaim the name of Christ and kill us to saying, you know what? Everything, everything that I stood on over here, everything that, that, was, that, that made me who I was, all of that, now that I'm over here and I'm in Christ, sitting in prison because of I proclaim the good news, all of that over here is done. So here's the question, brothers and sisters. What are you holding on to over here? What are you still holding on to? What are you afraid of, of admitting your sin that you're struggling with because you're holding on to something over here? This is what you're building your life on. This is what you're building your case before God in. If, if you're not free to say, you know what, Joe, I'm really struggling with this. Will you pray for me? Is there scripture I can do? Then you're still holding on. You're still trying to make yourself good enough before God. No, that will never happen. Through the power of God, he has saved you. And see, we're seeing Mary, she's, she's praising him because she believes it. She's trusting her God. Her life has been ruined. She is a virgin who is now pregnant. Her life has been turned upside down. She's trusting God. She's trusting God. And look at this. Don't miss this. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. They will call her blessed. We don't worship Mary, but we should see how she has been trustworthy and humble before God. We should give her the, the honor that she deserves as it says, all generations will call me blessed. Not because she's over here standing on, I'm awesome. No. She's, she has her arms out and says, I'm, I'm nothing without you, Lord. I'm nothing without you, Lord. And today, I just beg you to... to it, it doesn't happen all at once. It's progressive sanctification. But I just beg you, maybe before you leave here today, that you'll let go of one thing over here that you are saying, because I'm this, God, you can accept me. No. It's only in Christ. Because everything over here is done, according to Paul. In other words, Paul says, I have experienced revolution. I once could have explained my life in terms of being powerful, being intellectual, of being significant with the money that went with it. 
And now I'm here to tell you that none of these things make sense to me anymore, apart from the surpassing worth of knowing one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ. All I once held dear and built my life upon, all the things I yearn for and all the things I long to own, all the things, he says, I now count them absolute nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. This is conversion, brothers and sisters. This is conversion. You see, that's not the story of somebody who says, oh, I I think I might try a little religion in 2023 as we're all preparing our New Year's resolutions, right? I think I might try to turn over a new leaf and whatever it might be. I, I, I might go along and try and read the Bible, all of those things you may do. But the thing you can't do is the one thing that both of us need. And that's a changed heart. That is, be, that is through his might to be taken from, the, from darkness to light. What we need is the invasion of God in our lives to show us that all of the things that we regard as making significance for us are actually totally insignificant. All of those things, they're done. That is why his might... He scatters the proud. He reduces the rulers to nothing. And he sends the rich away empty. Remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, have you done that? that, 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 that? He says, yep, I've done that. He says, okay, go sell everything. Oh, there's the one thing that he wouldn't give up to have eternal life. All his money. Man, lay it down, guys. He is a good, faithful God. He will be right there. He will be right there. He's close. He's mindful of us. He is mindful. He is mighty. And finally, thankfully, He is merciful. He is merciful. Look at verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And His mercy is poured out on those who fear Him. Kind of gone around in a circle, haven't we? And His mercy is poured out on those who fear Him. What does it mean to fear God? Oh, I'm afraid. No, well, there's some of that. There should be that. I mean, we just sang a song, holy, holy, holy. We can't be in his presence unless our righteousness matched the righteousness right, of the Pharisees, which they thought that they were all perfectly clean. But thankfully, our righteousness gives, is given to us through Christ and what he has done on the cross because he lived the perfect life. What does it mean to fear God? It's a profound sense of awe. It's reverential awe. It's wonder. It's admiration. It's respect. That's what it means to fear him. That we're just in awe of him. And it's amazing that so many times we get we get little glimpses of this, right? I know I've said this a thousand times, but nobody stands in front of the Grand Canyon and says, Look how awesome I am. You just don't do it because you're in awe of what you see. That's the idea. Those who fear him, he shows mercy. The fear, uh, to fear God is to trust God, to love God, to obey God. 
This verse 50 is, is, is fantastic. It's the story of God's people. The account of his absolute commitment. His persistent refusal to wash his hands of his wayward people. That the remnant of his people has continued all the way through until eventually Jew and Gentile and bond and slave and male and female are standing together around the throne of God and are declaring the same thing one of another. We're standing with Abraham one day and saying, Abraham, Abraham, why are you here? Because his mercy was extended to me. That's because we'll be standing around the throne one day in the Arab Christian from the West Bank. Why are you here? Because his mercy was extended to me. What about the God that's down here in Brazil right now doing his thing? Why are you here? Why are you around the throne? Because God extended his mercy to me. And oh, you, 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 wait a minute. I, I see you from Frostburg, Maryland. Why are you here today? Why are you around the throne, gathered worshiping God one day, as all of us will do? Why, why are you here? Because God extended his mercy to me. His mercy has been extended to each one of us. It's the only way we become Christians. It's the same story. We will stand before the throne of God and we will say, our God is mighty to save and his mercy has been extended to us. His humble servants and from one generation to another will be there. And the only reason why they're there, they're not like Saul saying, I'm here because of X, Y, Z. No, they're like Mary. I'm here because his mercy has been extended to me. His mercy has been extended to me. There's an old hymn that goes like this as I close. It captures this well. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. See, brothers and sisters, because he is mighty, we should bow down to him. Because he is merciful, we should trust him. Because he is mindful of us, we should worship him. Does your soul magnify the Lord today? Has his mercy been extended to you? Can we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful song that you've given us, that Luke has put in his scripture for us to read, to know, Father, that you, you are mindful of us, that your might has moved and changed things. And Lord, that you are merciful to us. You are such a wonderful God. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that, that maybe walked in here, it's like, okay, I'm at church. And, and maybe you've done church for a long time, but maybe today was the day that the Holy Spirit changed your heart, that you've actually seen Christ for who he is. And I rejoice with you because that is the work of his mercy. And I pray that you would agree that you are a sinner 
Because the Holy Spirit's the one that is convicting of you of that. That you would turn from trusting in yourself and fully entrust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In a God that we have seen today who is mindful of his people, who is mighty and is merciful. Will you trust in him today? And maybe for those of us who have been walking and following for a while, Lord, I pray that you would help us to let go just one more of those things that we're holding on to, that, that we are, Lord, that we're bringing, we continue to bring to you and say, oh, you accept me because of this. Lord, just help us, please. I beg you to help us to lay down one more thing so that we can be more like you, so that we can be more like you. Father, thank you so much for all that you have done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.